Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? I hope you're doing well. I hope everything's all right with you. Now, I don't know what the weather's like where you are, but today it is icy, icy conditions, I think we could say. And our house is up a hill. It's not it's not like a massive hill, but it's enough to get you out of breath when you're walking up if, if you're not too careful. And to go to walk down the hill normally would take me five minutes max. Um, probably less than that, but five minutes max. And today it has taken me over 20 minutes to get down that hill because it's so icy. Now, I was always told to walk sort of sideways, like a crab movement, and then you don't slip. Well, that's a lie because it was still slippy. So I was just edging past. And there are all these people, you know, all ages, um, from young to significantly older than me, all walking past me, absolutely fine, not slipping. And the minute I try and walk with confidence, I'm slipping again. Why is this? Are some people slipper people and other people aren't? I don't know what's going on. But anyway, there we go. That's what I've been going through today, which is fascinating, I know. But what is actually fascinating is I've got some great books to talk to you about today. So, Let's go through these. We've got some author names uh, which I'm going to find interesting to pronounce, um, but I'm going to have a go. I've done my research and that's probably more dangerous, I think, than not doing my research. But anyway, okay. so first of all, we've got Two Wrongs by Mel McGrath. And actually, we're going to be talking to Mel in a bit, which is super. Um, Then we've got Ready Player Two. Not Ready Player One, Ready Player Two by Ernest Cline, A Deity by Matt Veselowski, My Brother's Name is Jessica by John Boyne, and then Hotel Cartaniga by Simone Bocholz. So I think that I think that's okay. I hope I haven't offended anybody with that. But anyway, let's get stuck in straight away. Um, I'm holding it in my hand. You can hear me turning it around. But the the book Two Wrongs by Mel McGrath is a, is a great sort of thriller, mystery, crimes. When is that book a crime and a thriller? When it's got a crime in it and it's thrilling? I don't know. I'm always wondering that, aren't I? But okay, here's the blurb. Why are the girls dying? 
In the city of Bristol, the bodies of young women are being found in mysterious circumstances. The deaths look like suicides, but are they something more sinister? Honour is terrified that her daughter might be next, but as she looks for clues to what really happened to the girls, she stumbles upon a link to a dark secret in her own past, one that she's kept from her daughter. Now Honour has the chance to avenge her child for the terrible events of years ago, but how far will she go to protect her daughter and right the wrongs done to her family? Um, I enjoyed the book. I thought it was good. I didn't know. Well, I had an idea of what the, the key to it was, but it's a bit like, uh, you know, knowing the end of something, but not knowing how they would get to the end and not knowing exactly how the, how the end would be. I thought it was very interesting. It made me think about certain parts of our society and how people can find themselves in very difficult places. And that really made me think. I think it's one that's going to get a lot of attention. It's well written. Um, and I like the fact that there's these three key characters in it and you hear from their from their viewpoints. Um, and so I liked I liked what that bought. So you've got um, Nevis, you've got Honour, and then you've got this chap. And, and you don't really know what his role is in it at the beginning and the, the the name you've got is Cullen um but you don't know more than that when he first sort of introduces himself and I thought it's just very perceptive it's a it's a good book absorbing um but should we talk to Mel and find out more from her so Mel thank you so much for joining me today I really appreciate it it's absolutely great to be here Philippa I'm really looking forward to our chat well, yes, I was looking forward to it as well because I enjoyed the book so much. I mean, it's it's an, a question that everyone's going to ask you, but I have to start with it. What gave you the idea for this book? Um, well, I think when I while I wrote it, I had a nephew at uni, and I felt very much that that kids who went to uni weren't really being protected. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the stories I heard, not just from him, but from parents who got kids at uni were quite kind of eye-opening. And um, I also thought about um, my own time at university um, when I was sexually harassed by um, a professor. Oh. And I didn't come forward for about 30 years. And then I came forward um, during the, the the whole Weinstein thing in 2017 wow. and uh, there was a big inquiry that resulted because I went public and I named the professor uh, I thought it was my duty to do that mm -hmm. and there was a big inquiry and the result of the inquiry was all sorts of things that that university got changed um, but what was astonishing to me was that they were still um, they were still current that no one had really thought about it until I'd um, waved my sabre. So, for example, there was no rule to say, there was no co code of conduct for, for um, academic staff. So there was nothing to prevent an academic being stone cold drunk um, uh, or taking drugs or any of those other things, which in any other context would be sackable offences. There was also no um, bar against undergraduates and so 18 year old kids, both boys and girls, 
having sexual relations with um, their tutors. And um, it's, of course, it's true under the law that 18 year old kids are adults, but I really felt my, I remember myself at that age that I was really vulnerable kid, that I was leaving home for the first time, um, that I uh, was away from my parents' kind of um, care. Uh, and the university was really um, an overwhelming kind of slightly terrifying institution, a very ancient institution with its own rules and so on, some of which were very kind of arcane and old fashioned. And how, just a sense of how vulnerable um, young people in those positions were and how easily they can be trodden, trodden on really um, in all sorts of contexts. So I wanted, that was a, that was a very long response to your um, question, but I wanted to tackle that. And it was something that really came from the heart, you know, that I had had these experiences and they were still with me 30 years later. And I wanted to investigate um, the relationship between uh, a mother and her daughter who seems to be very vulnerable, um, but is like most 18 year old kids think they know everything and um, don't really want to listen to their parents. Mm. Uh, so that was the sort of starting point for Honor and, and Nevis, the, the mother and the, um, and the daughter in the relationship. Uh, and it's really about the degree to which Honor will go to um, defend Nevis, even though Nevis doesn't necessarily see the threats coming. Mm. It felt to me like it was a story that had to be told. It, it really came across that way, a very strong, powerful story. And, and you're right, when people go to university, it's such a change and you would expect them to be able to trust those at the university to be, uh, well, not like a family, but be responsible. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that doesn't happen. And um, you know, we've seen a lot in the news recently about um, Cambridge and Oxford, particularly because they have this system of one-to-one -one teaching, which makes it very vulnerable. Mm. Um, uh, you know, exposing huge um, abuses of power, really, uh, and at a time when kids are young men and women are just coming out of the world incredibly vulnerable and most really need our protection. And if we can't rely on these big institutions, which kind of ivory towers or set themselves up to be ivory towers to protect our kids, then who can we rely on? And I think that that issues sort of come really current in COVID times um, as well with um, students being sent. I've got, I've got other family now who are, um, at uni and being sent into um, very high infection zones, being given all kinds of contradictory advice about whether to go to lectures or not go to lectures, all of that stuff. It, there just seems to be a lot of mess mm. in those institutions, which um, results in young people not being 
protected. Well, hopefully this book will help because, you know, it sets it out very clearly. And um, I think anyone reading it will, will be much more aware of danger signs and um, just, you know, looking after it's not when someone's gone to university, it doesn't mean, yes, they're an adult, but it doesn't mean you helping them finishes, whether you're a parent or, or, or a friend, it, it carries on and you need to have their best interests at heart. But yes, I was thinking as well about the impact of lockdown. And for those that are, have um, opted to study at home instead, sort of online at the moment, whether these potential issues have been abated or actually made worse because they could be sitting at home very nervous and anxious about what's going on in the world and form attachments to uh, maybe lecturers or whoever that that um, are misplaced. Um, yeah, I think so. And, and certainly um, one of the things I'm exploring in Two Wrongs is the kind of psychological holes that um, a, a particular lecturer has on um, my main protagonist, um, Nevis. Um, and I think that idea that um, abuses of power happen physically, you know, lecheal mm. geezers, um, is, isn't necessarily the whole story, that there can be a, a much more subtle kind of psychological, almost like coercive control. I mean, after all, a tutor, is not only responsible for your academic career, but um, by their by definition, sort of knows more about this, the system and the setup than you, and is someone you probably look up to and maybe you know revere and maybe even have a bit of a crush on. So, I I wanted to explore that whole sort of psychological dimension of um, uh, an abuse of position and power, as well as the you know the more obvious kind of physical set up and be because it's coming from such an experience for you um and presumably you were writing it at a time when it, it, there was the action going on as as well i mean uh, does it feel different as it as it as you come to publication day does this book feel different to, to the others um well there's always some i mean i i, I like to write um books that really mean something to me and how you know I'm with them for a year or whatever um and I figure that if they really mean something to me they'll really mean something they'll really mean something to my readers you know they'll really reach a readership for whom they mean a lot too um so there's a lot of sort of passion that goes into my uh all of my books actually um and this one's no different from that point of view um I I don't know if it feels different, reads differently on the page because obviously I wrote it so I, I'm, not, I'm not the best reader of it. Um, I do remember Erin Kelly saying to me that she thought it was her favourite of the books that I'd written. Um, and uh, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm really rooting for Nevis and Honour and for their relationship. And um, it, I think the mother-daughter relationship was something that I was very, very keen to explore. And actually, 
my own mother died during the time that I was writing this. Oh. And so the, the thought of mothers and daughters being at the start of the book, they're not reconciled, they're not, they're really rather estranged. And so the thought of that was very, very, I mean, my mother and I were very reconciled, but the thought of that was very, very painful. And I was kind of very driven to find a way in which Nevis and Honor could find one another again mm. and could find a peace together again. So I think that's kind of the emotional heart of the, of the story, how um, uh, a mother and daughter and, and uh, Nevis is adopted. So there's that added thing in the mix. Um, uh, can lose one another, but they can also find one another. And sometimes they find one another in the strangest of ways or through something that's actually um, almost like trial by fire in a way. And did the story present itself to you in your mind entirely or did it evolve as you were planning it and writing it? Um, I think, well, for me anyway, I always plan um, because it seems like such an overwhelming thing to write a book at the start and you you're you've just it's just you and the blank screen um and you're you're thinking okay i've got these characters what do i do do i send them to outer space or do i uh send them to a convent school or this kind of whole world of possibility and um so i plan because i'm too too much of a scaredy cat not to um and I really, really admire those people who are pantsers. Uh, I know Anne Cleves has told me that she was a pantser and um, I don't know how that's possible. But then having plans, I kind of ignore the plan. So it's, it's sort of like a safety net really. Um, and I can remember there's a, there's a fire without giving too much away. There's a fire at, at one point in the book. And um, that came to me on a dog walk. I was walking the dog um, in, in lockdown, actually, and it suddenly, I suddenly thought, oh, there has to be a fire. And so the, it, your subconscious can do the most weird things. It sort of brings up, or sometimes you'll dream something and you'll think, oh, that's about the book. Um, my, my mind has solved a problem while I've been asleep and told me what the answer is. Um, it does mean annoyingly that you then have to wake yourself up and write it down <laughs> always need a notepad at the bedside table yes and a very very um understanding partner <laughs> and the tension is there throughout this this feeling that all, all is not right and and um, that develops as the story goes on but did you have to dial up that tension or dial it down or was the tension did it just come naturally at the right level um, well, I think the, the one of the things I love about writing a thriller from the point of view of the form of a thriller is that it is a kind of game that you play with the reader of um, introducing some tension, but not necessarily um, directing the reader as to where it's going or, or possibly directing them, but possibly misdirecting them mm -hmm. and then letting them off the hook a little bit and then going back in and then letting them off the hook a little bit. And each time you do that, there's a kind of, I have a sort of smile on my face because I'm thinking, even though the material is quite dark, I'm kind of thinking, um, I wonder how many of you are gonna get this little bit that I'm, I'm, just, I'm just hinting at here. Um, 
and um, uh, you know, hoping that people do because that's sort of part of the satisfaction of reading thriller, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's not just um, sort of how it ends; it, it's how it gets there and and how how it all develops. Uh, uh, just just super. And I love the element of having three different character viewpoints. Um, was that again something that you had from the start very specifically the the three principal characters um so the three principal characters are honor and nevis who are mother and daughter and um uh, professor cullen who is uh, the dean of the school of biosciences in this university and um what i find really intriguing about writing from different points of view is that um, if you're writing a psychological thriller you see into the heads of those three different people and you see the same piece of action or incident if you like interpreted in completely different ways depending on what's going on in the, the minds of those three different characters and I, I always find that very um, incredibly satisfying because it it, uh, it enables you to play with points of view, enables you to play with the plot, enables you to play with the tension. Um, it means that some of the characters won't see things that the reader sees um, coming. And uh, I like playing with that. I like the reader to have a sense that the character has missed something that's going to come back to bite them. Um, so it's 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 really pleasurable to write because it just makes the whole narrative a, a, that bit more complex and dynamic and you see the connections between people that they don't necessarily see themselves um i also do love a villain and um actually uh, Anne cleves told me that she um she thought my villain in this uh in two wrongs was the the, the best portrait of a villain she'd ever read which was so gratifying to hear coming from Anne because she's sort of she's a wonderful woman and she's a wonderful writer um uh I do love to explore a, a villain um I do love to think about what motivates people to do really dark things that sometimes they may not realize are dark um or uh often don't realize how how dark they are and obviously this is not your first book you are a long established author can I ask when you when you did you first start writing 427,000 years ago <laughs> <laughs> I was writing books when I was a dinosaur um, I am a dinosaur um I've 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 made my career actually, which is more than quarter of a century long now, um, writing in lots of different kinds of genre. I write nonfiction, narrative nonfiction. I always write narrative though. I love stories. I love to tell stories. And um, I've been a working journalist as well. And I think that gives you a kind of nose for what's a good story. And quite often um, a book will start with something that I've, I've experienced myself or I've heard on the grapevine and that that kind of journalistic bit of me kind of can sniff out a good story at a thousand paces. 
well that's super and they are they are great stories uh, i think a lot of people who are avid readers imagine it's quite easy to be a writer it you know it's all, the grass is always greener on the on the other side would you say it's easy <laughs> no and you know what it just never gets any easier it really doesn't i think i'm i don't know about 15 books in now and it never gets any easier because you're always trying to do something new, to push something new, but also that stories are, it's difficult to tell stories in a way that is satisfying. Um, there was a writer, I think it was Thomas Mann, but I, I actually, I can't remember who it was, but it's a, when I teach writing, I always quote it. Um, and he said, um, writers are people who find writing more difficult than other people. <laughs> 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 that's great I like um, that. so no each each sentence is a is a labor of love um and certainly when I teach uh there are a lot of people who come um who think well I can write so you know I must be able to write a book but so much of writing is thinking mm. and that's often what's missed you know what's going to make the little twist that is that's going to satisfy people what do you tell your reader and when do you tell it and what do you withhold how do you make a um a character feel like a real person all those decisions and so it's it's almost like i think of it often i'm a very, very visual writer and i often kind of will go around a scene in my head mm. almost as though it's like a mini movie and i'm the director where are people standing what are they saying what's the atmosphere what's in the room um, uh, what do I want to come out of that in, in terms of storytelling? How do I keep the tension going? All of those decisions that you're making all the time as you, as you go along. Um, and yeah, it's, as I said, it, it's, it's kind of, I think if it, you find it easy, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> you mentioned teaching the art of writing. Am I right in thinking that you taught as well in a women's prison? Yeah, I have. Um, for a while, I ran a group for over 45s at Holloway Prison, um, which now sadly no longer exists. Um, but I think probably most people have heard of Holloway as, as being one of the famous women's prisons. And um, I remember going in, I was um, advised when I first went in, don't pick a topic that will cause these women more, more distress than, um, so don't talk about the families, don't talk about their kids because they're missing their kids and their, their families. Um, so I thought I would, the, the um, first time I went in, I thought I would pick something reasonably safe and I decided to pick grandmothers and that we would talk about grandmothers and we would um, you know, write a portrait of our grandmothers. And I went in with this and uh, everyone seemed to like the idea, the, the inmates seemed to like the idea. And we got chatting about grandmothers and I said, well, maybe the, the one way to, to start off will be to think about what was the most valuable thing that your grandmother taught you? Mm -hmm. And I was kind of expecting um, little tips about romance or uh, tips about uh, homemaking maybe yeah. or budgeting or whatever 
And um, the first woman turned to me and she said, um, the most valuable thing my grandmother taught me was how to handle a gun. Wow. <laughs> That's a book right there. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be a great, it would be a great opening line. Yeah. Um, and I, I reserve the right to use it. Um, but that, that was, it was that moment that made me think, oh, okay, I'm in Holloway prison. <laughs> yeah. But as well as... Them learning from you, did you learn from them as well? It must have been quite an experience. Oh, a huge amount. Yeah, a huge amount. And actually very, I was very humbled by their stories. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, most women, in my view, who are in prison don't deserve to be in prison. And that um, them being in prison creates more havoc than it solves because it separates them from their kids and their families. And we know that a huge proportion of women who are in prison are in prison, uh, have been victims of a crime greater than the crime that they're in prison for. And that is very often domestic violence, rape. Um, and there's a huge proportion of women in prison are in prison because they did something that a man asked them to do. Um, and that's not, that's not to um, say that they're not responsible, but I think that the, the story of women in prison is often a very complicated, nuanced mm. story. And I learned, the biggest thing I learned was you never judge. Um, plus there were women who were in there, there was one woman I taught who was in there because she didn't pay her council tax. Mm you know, which was sort of kind of like some kind of Dickensian, going back to some kind of Dickensian debtor's prison. Yeah. How's she going to pay her council tax if she's stuck in prison? And it costs upwards of about 80 grand a year, your taxes, my taxes, mm -hmm. to keep that person in prison. Um, so yeah, there's, you know, I learned a lot about, about the prison system. And I've, I've taught men in prison too. And the atmosphere in men's prisons is very different, but, um, the stories are often, particularly of their, you know, early childhood and so on, the stories are often not so different. That's incredible. Is that something you're still doing? Well, not now at the moment with all, with all that lockdown has to offer or not. Um, but is that something that you still get involved with? Um, well, at the moment, uh, of course, we can't do any of that stuff. But at the moment, I'm... Um, I volunteer as a mentor for a charity called the Luminary Bakery, which um, is a fantastic charity, which teaches women who have been mostly either the victim of uh, sexual violence and or they've been sex trafficked to become commercial bakers. So I don't do the baking with them. They get to do baking with professional bakers. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mentor um, women kind of through that process. And it's, it's very often about giving them permission to be themselves, um, giving them permission to be, to have opinions. Um, yeah. Uh, supporting their self-esteem and their confidence. It's that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, you help a woman, you help their family too. Most of these women have kids. 
and it's incredibly rewarding, incredibly rewarding. And again, I, I learn more from them than I'm sure they learn from me. Gosh, well, you're a bit of a legend, you are. You, you really are. <laughs> with and I think your book, not only is it a great read, it, it, it will help people, it will educate people, um, and it will be a testament to you. So, Mel, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Philippa. Well, that was very interesting, wasn't it? It's always good to talk to authors and, and hear from them. And, and it was great to talk to Mel. Now, this book that you can probably hear in my hands is the next one that I want to talk to you about. Ready Player Two by Ernest Klein. I'm sure you've heard of Ready Player One. Crikey, it's been it's had so much hype in recent years. And there was the film made as well. Um, and uh, Ready Player One, if you haven't heard about it, um, is really about a boy who's still at school, but he's in a time when, dare I say it, flu has ravaged the world and people are facing a very different lifestyle. A lot of their time is spent online. Do you know when I first read that book, it seemed like, you know, it, it would never happen. And then here we are homeschooling, all sorts of things. Anyway, don't worry if you don't want to read about the pandemic. That is not what this book is about at all. It just sets the scene for what's happened in the past. Seriously, it's not going to worry you. It's quite different and it's a great book. Um, but it's this boy who goes to school online online through VR um, and the whole system that people access is the Oasis. Uh, you can um, go to school on there, work on there, all sorts of things. And the owner of the original, well, there were two, but one of the two original owners dies and he leaves what they call an Easter egg. So hidden clues within the oasis. And if you solve those clues and sort of get the final prize, then you you own the company. Um, and it's great. There's It's um, sort of dystopian sci-fi, but it's, it's more to do with... Um, times in the past sort of songs of the 80s 90s um i just i just enjoyed it it it's one that i could really get into um i like the narration on the audiobook as well which is what i first listened to when i came across the book i listened to it all and then i got the book and read it as well so that's a mark of of a good book and when i knew that ready player 2 was coming out boy was i committed I had fear in my heart. I had fear in my heart because I thought it can't be as good as the first one. You know, it's it's reached such heights, such giddy heights. It can't be as good. And then the book arrived um, and I looked at it. I thought, oh, do I pick up that? Do I pick it up now? And then I got down the sort of the rabbit hole of looking at reviews. And the reviews are not kind. It's fair to say some are good. Some um, some of the reviews are, are positive, but a lot are saying how disappointing the book was. So I went in, let's say, with low expectations and I was delighted. I thought it was a great book. It's if you've just read the film and you've not read the book, then I think you will read this book and think, what is going on? Because the film really sort of sanitised the book. It took it, it cut a lot, um, which it's fine for those that want to watch it as a film because it's only so much time, but it meant you missed out on a lot of glorious detail from the book and the particular way it was written. And this book certainly 
brings you back to that and it's written very much as the first as the first book was um some people have complained that it's uh, very twee there's a lot of references again to sort of 80s thrown in there um and 70s even and that a lot of it centers around another quest another quest to solve riddles find these hidden easter eggs which is true i accept that but i don't know of any other book that does that so i'm fine for it to do it again it was a, it was there was a different element to it um it kept me reading there was one point when i did think right okay we've we've had enough of this looking for easter eggs now let's find the easter egg and find out what happens um but did that stop me turning the pages and reading no it absolutely didn't so yeah i th i thought it was really good but I just repeat myself, if all you've done is watch the film, don't buy this second book and think, well, it's just going to be like the film. It is very different. There was a lot more in the first book. And actually, if you've if you've watched the film, go back and read the book because there's so much more to it. And it was really, really good. So there we go. Ready Player Two, Ernest Cline. A great. I enjoyed it, even if the rest of the world didn't. So this next book is uh, Deity by Matt Veselowski. And I enjoyed this book very, very much. Um, Matt is very skilled at sort of writing a, a book that looks at one thing that's happened, but he writes it as a series of podcast episodes, six stories. And so you get to see different elements, different profiles, different views um, before coming to the conclusion of who done it. At its essence, it's a who done it, but it's delivered in such a different way. It was really refreshing to read. I did not want to put this book down and I didn't until I found out what happened. And it's also got an interview with key, with a key character running in sections throughout the book. Um, so it really kept it fresh. The cover of the book has this sort of animal skull with really jagged horns. And I was really scared about that. And I thought it was going to be it was going to be beyond my pay grade in terms of what I could tolerate in terms of being scared. And it and it, it didn't actually. It wasn't the sort of scary horror book that I was thinking it would be. Yes, of course, there's nastiness in there. And maybe I'm just becoming acclimatised, but it it didn't scare me. Uh, much. Let's <laughs> say that anyway. So here we go. When pop megastar Zach Crystal dies in a fire at his remote mansion, his mysterious demise rips open the bitter divide between those who adored his music and his endless charity work and those who viewed him as a despicable predator who manipulated and abused young and vulnerable girls. Online journalist Scott King, whose Six Stories podcasts have become an internet sensation, investigates the accusations of sexual abuse and murder that were levelled at Crystal before he died. But as Scott begins to ask questions and rakes over old graves, some startling inconsistencies emerge. Was the fire at Crystal's remote home? really an accident? Why was he never officially charged? Are reports of a haunting really true? Dark, chillingly topical and deeply thought-provoking, Deity is both an explosive, spine-chilling thriller and a startling look at how heroes can fall from grace and why we are willing to turn a blind eye to even the most heinous of crimes. I really enjoyed it, as I say. I just devoured it. Um, I'm definitely going to read his other books because they follow a similar vein of this six stories. I thought it was really good. Um, it should just be published now. Um, so it should be coming out 
about this week or the last couple of weeks. But again, everything's changing at the moment. Everything's up in the air. So if it has already been published or if it's delayed, uh, still look out for it. You can pre-order it if it's not available. Really good. I enjoyed that one. Different, different good. Uh, the next one is one I listened to again. I got it on the, the library app. Um, now, you may remember that I'd already read a, a John Boyne book and absolutely loved it and thought, well, let's try another one of his. And this one is called My Brother's Name is Jessica. It's actually a mid-grade book, um, but I don't think it's specifically mid-grade. It's just that the story comes from the viewpoint of a child who who's soon to become a teenager, that sort of age. Um, so it's content, I don't know, would I say, oh, come on here, eight-year-old, because mid-grade's supposed to be eight to 12 years old. Here, come come here, eight-year-old, read this. I, I don't know, but I would certainly say, as I said for a book last week, the Jessica Townsend one, I would say that this is a book for sort of probably 10, 11-year-olds plus and every age group above that. If you just because you're not mid grade doesn't mean you shouldn't be reading this book or listening to it as I did. I think it's a really important book. Um, as the title suggests, uh, it, it's a, a very interesting story of our time. It's fascinating. This is the blurb. Sam has known his sister Jessica all his life. Tonight is the first time they're going to meet. Sam Waver has always been a loner, bullied, struggling at school with parents who have very little time for him. The one person he has always been able to rely on is his beloved older sibling. But when they announce that they are transitioning, Sam's life is thrown upside down. He's convinced nothing will ever be the same again. But as Sam is about to discover, nothing more, nothing is more constant than love. It's a moving and heartfelt portrait of one family's journey to acceptance from a master storyteller and, and that sums it all up I thought it was really good it made me look at things differently and isn't that what a book's about um it made me realize with surprise how there's still some people still have issues with identity and uh, no some people still have issues with accepting people's change of identity um but if anything this book will help to educate and understand i just thought it was it was lovely. It was sad and harrowing and just sort of rooting for characters along the way. Um, but I enjoyed listening to it. And when I say enjoy, I'm, I'm holding up my fingers as if I'm doing speech marks. It wasn't, oh, hooray, I'm loving listening to this because it was heartbreaking at times. But it was a good book and I, I was very glad that I read or, or listened to it. So that's my brother's name is Jessica by John Boyne. And then we come to the final book today, which is uh, Hotel Cartonega, um, which is by this author, Simone Buchholz. And it's it's a different story. It's very sharp. Um, it doesn't leave it doesn't leave any space. It's very fresh. And it's got sections of verse. We have a, a crime book, ladies and gentlemen, that has verse in it, which I just love. You know how much I love verse fiction. And uh, it was great to have it in there. Anyway, OK, here's the blurb. 20 floors above the shimmering lights of the Hamburg docks, public prosecutor Chastity Riley is celebrating a birthday with friends in a hotel bar when 12 heavily armed men pull out guns and take everyone hostage. Among the hostages is Conrad Hoogsmar, the hotel owner, who is being targeted by a man whose life and family have been destroyed by his actions. With the police looking on from outside, their colleagues' lives at stake, 
and chastity on the inside, increasingly ill from an unexpected case of sepsis, the stage is set for a dramatic confrontation and a devastating outcome for the team, all live-streamed in a terrifying bid for, for revenge. Um, I read it very quickly. In some ways, I had to read it quickly because I was scared with this book. And I don't know why. I found the verse sections really I can't I'm trying to think how to it scared me even more and I've longed to read an an adult book that's sort of crime or thriller that's in verse but for this because it cut out even more any spare words oh my goodness the tension just went from high to extraordinary and it was it was harrowing in places to read it really was um gosh this woman can write if you are interested in uh, you know translated fiction uh, modern war something different really strong taught oh uh then then i think you would really enjoy this book um and if you are easily scared and want to keep more to nursery rhymes then don't read this book <laughs> um but it was it was it was good. I enjoyed. Well, I enjoyed it. I, I was interested to read it. I think we can say that. So there we go. Lots and lots of books. We've had Two Wrongs by Mel McGrath. Um, we've had Ready Player Two by Ernest Cline. Deity by Matt Veselowski. My brother's name is Jessica by John Boyne. And Hotel Cartagena uh, by Simone Buchholz. So I think that's quite a selection of books and gosh i have got some amazing ones to talk to you about next week i'm clutching my hands in glee under my chin because i can't wait um and a great author interview so uh, look after yourselves this week happy reading let me know what you've thought about these books or any oh and join us on the facebook group you're very welcome type in quick book reviews podcast into facebook and you should find us just look for that annoying orange image of me reading a book and and you should be able to join you'd be very welcome and always keen to hear from you about books you can contact me on instagram and twitter as well and email me of course at quickbookreviews at outlook.com so look after yourselves and i'll see you again very soon take care now bye bye you've been listening to the quick book reviews podcast that's enough books said no one ever see you again soon For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.